Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Saturday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I just wanted to mention my latest leadership book. It's called You Have the Watch, and it's available on my website and on Amazon. In fact, it's already a number one new release and a bestseller on Amazon. I'm really excited about this book because it's not actually a book. It's a guided journal for leaders that will take you through an entire year of leadership training. There are 50 themes in the book, and each day you'll reflect on a different facet of that theme. This journal is designed to be on your desk at work for you to read and reflect on for about 15 minutes each morning. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them, and this journal helps you practice those skills. So if you're interested in this guided journal, go to youhavethewatch.com or Amazon and pick up your copy today. Now, if you're looking for other ways to support what I do on this show, purchase any one of my books at johnsrunny.com, and podcast listeners can use the discount code DEEP at checkout to get additional savings. Also, I just wanted to mention that Deep Leadership is now ranked in the top 2.5% most popular shows out of 2.9 million podcasts globally, according to Listen Score. And I just want to thank every one of you for listening in every week and sharing these episodes with your friends. You have helped this podcast grow into a top performing show. So thank you very much. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about the mistakes that new leaders make. And my guest is Dr. Janet Pollock. Janet is a retired Marine Corps lieutenant colonel who spent a lifetime developing new leaders, and she has seen every mistake firsthand. She's an expert in the subject, and I was honored to sit down with her and talk about it. And I know you're going to love this conversation. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Janet Pollock. Janet is an author, speaker, and executive coach. She is an expert in developing new leaders. She is a retired lieutenant colonel who spent 20 years in the U.S. Marine Corps. She has developed leaders in the U.S., China, Korea, Hong Kong, Singapore, Puerto Rico, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Switzerland. And she's the author of a new book called The Seven Mistakes New Managers Make. Now, I'm excited to have her on the show to talk about how new managers can become great leaders. So Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. It is a delight to be here. And it is a delight to talk about what it sounds like is our favorite topic, which is leadership and leadership development. Absolutely. It certainly is for me. And I know we talked before we got started and it is for you as well. So this will be uh, this will be a lot of fun. So I wanted to start off and, and give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you go from being, you know, a Marine officer for 20 years, 20 plus years to now coaching executives in leadership? Tell us a little bit about your journey and why you have this passion for leadership. Well, I started in the Marine Corps because I couldn't find a teaching job. I graduated from college in the middle of a recession. Of course, as a 22-year-old, I didn't really know 
<laughs> there was a recession. Uh, did did um, I? You know, I was a good student. I worked hard for my grades, and I said, "Now, what am I going to do?" So it was either get a master's in something and then be really unemployable. And um, my mother was a high school teacher, and one day she came home and she said, "Jan, there were recruiters in school today. Have you ever thought about that?" And we were fortunately in a very peaceful time in our U.S. history. And that very same day, John, I had been. Uh, watching TV, and there was a recruitment advertisement for the United States Marine Corps, and I wrote down their 800 number. It was that <laughs> same day. So wow. I knew there was something serendipitous about it. Um, I learned a lot about being a Marine, about leadership in the Marine Corps, and that's what really sparked my passion. Um, the military invests in their leaders from day one. We talk about leadership competencies and traits. Um, the military evaluates people on a regular basis based on those competencies. They select people for schools. They promote them, again, on those leadership competencies. And most importantly, they send them off to school and help them learn what those competencies are, what they look like, and how do you do them in a high high stress situation. So I got off active duty. I went into the consulting route, uh, first worked for a government contractor and did human resource management and then human resource development. Uh, we moved back to Minneapolis. I got my PhD at the University of Minnesota, go Gophers. And, um, and then just pursued a career in leadership development and helping leaders become better leaders. Because what we learned in the military is that leaders can be developed. You know, great leaders occasionally are born, but I think all of us can be capable and even better um, at what we do leading others, but we have to work at it. You know, mm. it just doesn't come naturally to a lot of us. John, you and I were talking about how we promote great individual contributors to frontline managers. And we say, here, now you're going to be a great leader. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the things that they did really well as an individual contributor isn't always the things that you have to do. They're never the things that you have to do well as a manager. So that is what then eventually prompted me to write the book. That's fantastic. I'm so glad you did because it's such an important topic. And like you said, you know, those of us who have military background, leadership was sort of like that was that was in the DNA of our jobs. They 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 taught us, they trained us, they gave us gave us opportunities to practice that and develop our leadership skills. So you can imagine my surprise and, and to a lot of other veterans like myself, you go into the corporate world and you're like, oh, who are these who are these terrible managers who don't know how to lead? And 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 yeah. it's because it wasn't necessarily something that they learn from from day one like we did in the military. So I think that um, it's great that you're that you're helping in the world of leadership development uh, because I think that there's a lot of, that can be learned here and I'm really excited about this book in particular because again, there's so many new managers get promoted based on their maybe their experience, their performance, uh, you know their knowledge, uh, but they're but not necessarily their leadership skills. And so that's right. where they fall flat early on in that process. and it's a difficult transition going from a great individual contributor to a great um, to a great leader. So, and this book is going to help yes. us do it. So, I want to talk a little bit about your company. It's called In the Lead Inc. And uh, just a little bit about what do you do? What services do you provide to companies to individuals? Uh, who do you typically work with? And what are the problems they're trying to solve? Yeah. So I work with a lot of executives. I am an executive coach, and so I work one on one. I work with the executive and her team and help them be more effective. And then my new passion is working with frontline managers. Mm. Uh, we don't invest in frontline managers. Here, here's the statistic from the conference board. 
The average manager in the United States is report is promoted to manager at the age of about 29 to 31 years old. Mm-hmm. Their first leadership development experience is not until their mid 40s. Yes. Yes. And further, we've discovered that 60% of managers fail in their first two years. Mm. You know, they either bail out and say, I'm going back to an individual contributor or they leave the company. And so companies aren't taking time to invest in them. I think so often big companies think that leadership development is a multi-day program. We've got to fly people in. It's days out of the role. And I think leadership, you know, frontline leadership development is a few hours of interaction with other managers. Um, and that's really what I help organizations do is get to those basic frontline leadership skills, how to give feedback, how to set performance expectations, how to have one-on-ones, how to develop your team right in their role. It's what I'm passionate about. I love to do and I've gotten a chance, like you said in my introduction, to do it all over the world. Yeah, that's really good. And I think it's so important. Like you said, there's there's this gap uh, between when the average person gets promoted and when they get really, truly received good leadership training. And during that gap is where there's a lot of failure. And I know, at least in my terms, th- this book, the one book I just wrote, You Have the Watch, it's all about helping people, uh, you know, over a year learn 50 leadership skills on their own self-paced so that they can, same thing, so that they're not, you know, wandering through the wilderness, and they get a chance to actually do something, not a one time course, but something that follows them through a year. And I think you're yeah. right. There's a, there's a big gap in leadership training from the time they're promoted to the time they actually receive decent training. So, you know, hats off to you for working in this field, because I think it's such an important, uh, important aspect of leadership development. Um, one of the things I, I was reading through a lot of your material, one of the things that really stood out to me, you said this, that managers are too busy running their business to pay attention to employees which eventually leads to high staff turnover. And this is kind of interesting. And I was just thinking, this seems like common sense to me, maybe based on my military experience, but why do you think so many managers forget about the importance of people and and managing people and leading people? They they sort of take it, it's sort of a separate entity all, all of itself. Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. First of all, they don't transition to the manager role Mm -hmm. and managers fundamentally have to work through other people. You have to let go of the day-to-day responsibilities of getting stuff done. And um, they're much more comfortable doing whatever they used to do. Uh, And so I think that's part of the problem. I think they get so focused on fighting fires that there's no time left Mm -hmm. to do honest goodness check-ins and talk to people about um, their careers. I think the third problem, John, is that they are worried about what that person's going to say in a one-on-one. Mm. You know, what if they ask for a promotion? What if they want my job? What if they want 20% increase? Well, better to know than to not know is what I always tell uh, managers and leaders is that when you have good one-on-ones on a regular basis that are really focused on the employees, you can find out where they're at. And if they're getting ready to leave the organization, you at least have a chance to turn them around before they turn in their resignation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. Is is um you you need to you need to have those touch points so that you are not surprised that suddenly, oh, well, you know, Susan's leaving. Why? I had no idea that she was unhappy. Mm-hmm. Well, you never had that conversation. And I think what you said on is really important. You say a lot of them are 
I would say fear, it's fear-based, right? I'm afraid to have the conversation because I'm afraid they're going to ask me something I don't know, or I'm afraid they're going to ask me something that I can't give them. I'm afraid, in some cases, young managers, that they're going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's a lot of fear in why they don't uh, get out and talk to people. So they, you know, sequester themselves in their office and they work on their to-do list or their emails and, and ignore the people that depend on them for direction and guidance. And so it's really interesting. I I definitely have seen that through my career where new managers sort of, they, they, they almost huddle themselves or they, they sequester themselves into their office and their, their, you know, into the boardroom uh, and don't get out in the people because there's a fear there. So, Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Janet, I think the other thing I hear so often from senior leaders is, oh, Janet, I talk to my people all the time. I check mm. with them, them, in with them. What are you working on? How are you getting done? You know, when is that that project going to be done? Um, what are you running into? And that's not really a one-on-one. Mm. That's a status check. And as managers, I think we think that, well, I've talked to them about the work that they're doing. Um, every day or every couple of days and that that's enough. The problem with that is that that's all company focused. Mm. You know, it's what have you done for me lately? And how much faster can you work? And how much more can you put on your plate? Whereas a really solid one-on-one is all about me, the employee. Mm. What did you learn? Uh, What's going well for you? What else do you want to learn or what do you aspire to? If you turn that conversation around, and I've heard from managers over and over again who say, you know what, I've done one-on-ones for years. Jan and I finally used your format and I'm talking about accomplishments and aspirations and I'm getting to such a better, deeper level and I'm not solving their problems. You know, I'm talking to them about aspirations. What would they like to become? I give them some feedback about, well, here's what your strengths are and here's some things you need to learn. And then they're off and running. I don't have to solve their problems as a manager. That's so important. I love to hear that. I tell a story in my second book about my commanding officer gave me an opportunity to get the submarine ready for sea for a big VIP cruise. We had all these VIPs coming. I've never, I never gotten the ship ready for for sea like this before. All on my own, high stress. I had to make sure everything was ready. The captain wasn't wasn't even on the ship, so he was at his house. And when he finally showed up, he made his way to the bridge after greeting the VIPs. And and the question he asked me, I always always stands out to me. He didn't ask me about the status of the ship. He said to me, how are you feeling? And I was Mm. like, wow. Like, it wasn't how's the ship doing? It's how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And and, and that always stood out to me as far as, um, you know, getting to knowing your employees is about how about you? How are you feeling? What's what's your challenges? And it's not about the ship. It's not about the company. It was it was about me and how I felt. I just always stood out to me as is the type of question, the the type of leader I wanted to be as I, you know, moved up in my in my role. So I think that's really important to focus on them. What's their dreams? What are their aspirations? Where the, where do they want to be? What's the, what do they want to move in their career? Uh, you know, I think how are they feeling in their new role? How are they? You know, are, are they challenged? Are they bored? I mean, these are really important conversations to have on these one on ones. I love that. Love to hear that. So yeah. let's talk about the new book. It's called uh, "The Seven Mistakes That New Managers Make." And I'm assuming I know this, but but uh, you know, why did you feel compelled to write this book, and who is it for? I'm assuming it's for new yeah. leaders. <laughs> yeah. So I had the aspiration to write a book, and of course, the question always is, "What do you write about?" Mm. Um, I um, finally, it was actually a COVID book. 
Um, that first year of COVID, you know, I was fortunate for the first six months, work continued. And then the second half of that first year, things slowed down a little bit. And mm. I thought, this is the perfect time yep. to put this together. I was fortunate enough when I started kind of um, inventorying my files that I already had a lot written. Mm. I had a lot of content from programs. I had a lot of blogs. And um, I worked with a fellow on this who who kind of volunteered to help me. He was another great frontline leader. And um, and we collaborated together, Rick, Rick Master and I, and um, really put shape to what would frontline managers really need to know? You know, mm. here's the basic blocking and tackling of how to be a good frontline manager. You know, the book you can read in a couple of hours on an airplane um, what I love is I've had a couple of senior leaders who's, who've bought the book for the whole team and they go through kind of a chapter at a time and then Perfect. they have a talk about yeah. this, you know, setting performance expectations, developing your teams uh, in the role of work. Um, there's a chapter in there about creativity and innovation and how do you do innovation in the spur of the moment or taking mm. some time out on your team to think about how could we improve processes so um, it was something that was this not on the market. There's lots and lots of senior leadership books, you know, finding your voice and your passion and mm -hmm. being strategic and servant leadership and so forth. But there's not a lot for that frontline brand new manager. Yeah. And that's what really compelled me. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. I love it. I think it's so good and so important. I'm glad you did write this because it's um I think it's something that needs to happen and I think that, like you said there's this gap between when you get the role and when you get really good training so we have to fill that gap somehow. This is a great book for that. Uh, mistake number 1 really stood out to me and it's something I saw a lot in my corporate career. You say that, you know, new new managers spend too much time doing instead of leading. So we talked a little bit about that. Uh talk a little bit about um the key differences between being an individual contributor and a manager, what what's that transition that has to happen that that new yeah. leaders sometimes fail to make that uh, shift? Sure. That I think the fundamental question is you have to be willing to work through other people. Mm. So often, you know, I talk about delegation in some of my programs and here's the three steps to delegate well. And everybody always says, but I can just do it so much faster myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, you probably can, but then you're never going to get your team any place. You know, mm. think about your kids learning how to tie their shoes. If you tied their shoes every single time their shoes needed to be tied, you'd have a seventh grader coming home and needing to have <laughs> their shoes tied. You know, yeah. that's not going to get you anywhere. And so I think it's, you know, teaching um um, delegating work to your teammates so the, and then taking the time to um, teach them how to do it. Make sure that they know what the expectations are. What's the end date? What resources do they have? I was teaching, I was talking to a group of leaders the other day 
about um, delegation and I have a little worksheet that we work through. And um, one of my colleagues, my co-presenter was working through it on herself because she was a manager. And she said, boy, Janet, this is a lot of work. (laughs) It's a lot of work to delegate correctly. And I think, John, to your point, that's why some managers don't take time to do that. And yet what she concluded is she said, once this individual knows how to take on this task, that's a task I don't ever have to think about again. Exactly. You know, it's really a way to free up my time so that I am doing more strategy work and less tactical work. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The other thing too, I see, I see a lot of a lot of um young employees come into come into a company and uh all of the difficult tasks are given to the senior people and the junior people don't get don't get those opportunities to do things. So a lot of times when the when this new manager is doing all the work and holding tightly to the difficult assignments, the young people don't feel challenged. They they're never given any assignments that push their, their boundaries. And nowadays, especially with younger employees, they want to feel challenged. They want to be part of something really big, they want to be doing something that's important, and they want to be challenged. Uh, and if we don't challenge our employees and give those give them those difficult tasks and again follow up with them make sure they know understand and learn but also give them a chance to fail in a controlled way because that's how they're going to learn but if we don't give it to the employees they're going to get bored they're going to look for other challenges and i know specifically speaking for me i was that i was that challenge junkie all throughout my career give me the most difficult assignments that's what i want i don't want some boring job i want to do give me the plant that's failing give me the the business that's losing money i want to go in there and fix it don't give me an easy task. So I think sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, we think that we're protecting our employees by not giving them the difficult tasks, but mm-hmm. just the opposite happens. They get bored and they're like, well, I, you know, he's or she's doing all the difficult work. I don't get any opportunities. So I think that's right. um, that's another element of it as well. I think it really is. And I think we assume that our young professionals, you know, want an easy way out. And <laughs> if they found a company that can give them some meaning that they can link to the mission. John, you're absolutely right that they want to work hard and go out after it. And we see this over and over again. And yet somehow as managers, we hold back and don't necessarily give them the chance to to learn and fail because that comes with with the territory. Um, and, And then, of course, when we do this delegation, we have to be available. We have to be available to check in, not to tell them how to do it, but how's it going? What are you learning? What are your challenges? How can I support you? Mm. Um, And so, again, that first time of delegation is a little bit more work. But over the long term, you'll have an employee who's learned something new, hopefully, that they enjoy. And you've had something less that you're responsible for. Mm. Yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on with that. And I think you're right. There's this. there's a transition that has to be made when you're, you know, you are, you know, as you as you go as an individual contributor, you have you have your actions, your to do list, you have your things that you have to do, and you're and you're promoted based on your performance. And letting go of that and being and and let and letting others perform and 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 again getting the work done through uh, through others. I always say, you know, the, the best definition of leadership is you know motivating employees to achieve a goal. Right? It's there's three elements: mm-hmm. there's motivation, there's people, and there's a goal. And and that's your role changes from individual contributing to you know motivating a group of people to get something difficult done right you're so it, yeah. and anytime you spend working on a to do list or like oh I'm just going to do this technical drawing because I'm really good on AutoCAD or whatever then you're not leading you're you know mm-hmm. I, I 
you know, I often say that there's there's some things that only the leader should do. Do those things, right? And don't uh-huh. be doing the other things. <laughs> so, right. well, one thing one thing you touched on, I think this is really important, and you talked about this is um, uh, you just, you know uh, ha- you know getting new managers to infuse uh, employees with a sense of meaning in what they're doing, mm-hmm. and and so why is it so important that we uh, help? you know, uh, employees see the big picture. So how they're contributing to the big picture. Why is that so important to, to give meaning to the roles of our employees? I think finding meaning in our work is probably the biggest outcome from this great resignation that we're all experiencing right now is that people had a chance to reflect as they were sitting in their basements on zoom calls all day saying, wow, this job just doesn't connect me to anything. (laughs) And I think what we have to realize is not every single employee is going to connect to our mission. You know, our our young employees may not connect to an insurance company, for example, but it pays the bills and it allows them to do the other things that give them meaning in their lives. So having that conversation about what gives you meaning Maybe for some of us, it's talking to our colleagues in the halls during the day. And so these last two years in COVID working in our basements was really, really difficult because I just I I I was coaching with a woman today and she's mid career and she's thinking about, you know, what might be her next role. And yet she described the most amazing work environment. She works with highly qualified people who all step up whenever there's a new project. They're really smart. They're very well educated. They're commission, They're committed to the mission of the organization. And I said, why would you leave that? You know, it's like having great neighbors. Why would you yeah. move out of your house when you've already had great neighbors you can really depend on? So I think helping our employees name what their meaning is And then doing what you can in the work environment to connect to that. And if there isn't something in the mission of the company, helping them still create a satisfying work environment. So the other parts of their lives, maybe they're an extensive volunteer so that they have enough time when they go home at night that they can, you know, volunteer at a food shelter or at a a food um, pantry or at a humane shelter, an animal shelter or whatever really excites them in their lives. Yeah, but I think what you're what you're coming right down to is for you to know that you need to know your people, you need to spend time with them, you have to have uh, conversations other than just, you know, how's the project coming along? It's it's you know, and, and, and I, you know, it's interesting because I've always been, you know, again, you know, my military career, I was on a submarine, right? On a submarine mm-hmm. for, for three months at a time, we, you know, we'd be out there. We knew everything about everyone, right? There was no secrets yeah, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. I'm just that kind of a person. Like, I'm curious about like, you know, uh, where'd you grow up? Like, uh, you know, how many brothers and sisters do you have? What, uh, what are your hobbies? What do you, and, and I just liked, I'm, I'm fascinated by people and you learn those things as you spend time with people. People. One of the things I say is you have meals with people because when you have a meal, t- t- you tend to have these open conversations about their life and their dreams. And, and I've always said, if you can figure out like how, uh, what makes somebody tick, 
right? And, and mm-hmm. what motivates them? And if you can align it with something that you're trying to do in the company and put them in a role where they can bring their yeah, best absolutely. to work every day, that's something they're mm-hmm. passionate about and it works with the company, then it's like magic happens. You sort of get out of the way because they're doing what they love to do and, and it, it's helping the company. But you only yeah. get that if you spend time getting to know all of your employees and they're all going to be different and they're all going to have different passions and histories and hangups. And, but that's part of the role of leadership is getting to know each individual. It is. You're, you're reminding me, John, of a uh, leader that I worked for in the United States Marine Corps. He was a squadron commander. So our squadron was an intermediate maintenance squadron, and we had about seven or 800 Marines. And <clears throat> we'd have regular family events around Christmas and Thanksgiving and so forth. And he would have me pull a list of all of his Marines, their spouse's name, and their hometown. And he would literally study the list. You know, yeah. he knew all the staff NCOs. He knew all the senior people, but it was the junior people that he didn't know. And I would watch him at these events and he could go up to someone, greet them, Corporal so-and-so, you know, and this is Sharon and you have three kids now, right? And he just knew all these details about them. And it was so impressive and it was so welcoming and it was genuine. It was yeah. who he really was. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I, I've, I've talked about this before. Like I keep a spreadsheet of my employees and people think that's kind of creepy, but no, it's not. I'm like, because, you know, it's not natural for me to, to remember everything about everybody, but the spreadsheets help me sort of trigger, like I've got a meeting with Janice tomorrow. I'm going to just, oh, okay, that's right. I remember Janice. She's married. She's got two kids, you know, got a golden retriever like I do. Okay, that's something, you know, like it just sort of triggers me. Yeah. So when I'm s- sitting oh, with I love her- that. I can I can ask her those questions. So it's I don't think it's it's not necessarily creepy. It's good leadership to be able to just sort of be able to find information because again, it's it's not about you when you're a leader. It's about them and 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 letting you know letting them tell them about themselves about themselves, not you. Hey, look at me, how great I am. I'm your boss. I'm your commanding officer. No, it's about them. You know, getting to know them more and letting them talk, and you take that back seat. So, yeah, that's that's great. Well, good. I'm I'm glad I'm not the only one with spreadsheets. So, <laughs> that's good to hear. So, um, so one thing you said, and and I like this as well too. You talked about um, how leaders. Uh, this is the unique role that leaders can play, which is to create a close knit team with common goals defined roles and united souls. I really like that expression. Um, how this, you know, again, military was easy, right? Like on our, on our ship, it, the, it was easy. We knew what our mission was, our, you know, it was to get this job done and then get home safely to our family. We were unified in that mission. When I got to corporate, the mission's not clear. Everybody sort of has a, their own ver- view of what the mission is. So how do leaders do that? That, that you know, basically, um, you know, common goals define roles in, in United Souls. What's something that we can do as leaders? How do we achieve that? Well, I think you sit down together and talk about your team purpose. Mm. So, yeah, there's the organizational purpose and mission. It's written all over the walls of your organization. But what does our team do and why does it take a team to mm. do that? When I was writing the um, book, my husband was working as the facilities um, director of a very large church in downtown Minneapolis, And I said, Joe, what's your team's uh, purpose? Mm. And he said, well, we clean the church. (laughs) And I said, well, 
why do you clean the church? And, you know, he thought about it for a little while and he said, you know, so that when the parishioners come, they don't have to worry about the scratches on the wall or the stains on the carpet. They can focus on worshiping, which is why they are there. And so he actually took time with his team of custodians and said, you know, we need to better describe our team purpose. Hmm. And they all got behind that. And so it turned from a cleaning job to a job that really supported a congregation of 2000 people when they came to worship in the church. Hmm. And so I think that's where you start is you say, okay, so what is the purpose of our team? I talk about this in the book in chapter two. What's the purpose and why does it take a team to do it? And then who's going to do what on this team? And I advocate for, you know, having people talk about who wants to do what, Mm. because I might have a job that really takes everything out of me because I have to deal with customer complaints all day long. And John, you are a much more gregarious guy and you find these customer complaints as an opportunity to improve the process. And so maybe we figure out ways that we share the work or offload some things and I take on other things. And I really think that's the responsibility of the team. But they're not going to do that unless the manager actually sets that up and says that's okay to do it that way. Mm, Right. Yeah, I like that. No, I think you're right. Um, And I think, but I think you're right as far as like, tying tying the team to the bigger picture and then identifying how how the team achieves that goal i think is a big part of what and 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 again it's not necessarily just the bigger organization it's your team your your group and it can be maybe you have six people that are your the customer support team okay well well how do you manage that team with this common goal and shared vision for how you achieve that goal and and shared roles in that i think you're you're spot on with that and and that's the role of a leader that's the role the leader has to play in that in that organization i, I absolutely love that uh one thing i wanted to ask you why i've got you see is you your mission i love this mission statement you say is to help people find their own voice in a noisy world and lead from within. I was, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about what, what that really means. So John, you and I have known countless leaders over our careers and they all lead differently. Mm-hmm. So what coaching does, what leadership development does is help you get clear about who do you want to be as a leader? Who do you want others to say that you are? When I interview people uh, for my executive coaching, I ask them, so what's this person's brand? Mm. What are they known for? And, you know, then I share that back with them and we ask, you know, does this line up with the person you want to be? And of course, sometimes the news is not very good. You know, Mm -hmm. she cuts people off. She always has to be right. It's her way or the highway. And that may run counter to what I really value. And so being coming aware of how you are perceived, and then naming how you want to be perceived. Mm-hmm. You know, right. you can do a leadership competency assessment, and you're really good at strategic thinking or creativity or or getting your ideas across, but do those things really matter to you? Mm. And what matters to you as you lead others? Mm. 
So finding your own voice, finding your the way you want to lead. I think that's good. What is your personal mission? What do you how do you want to be as a leader? That's a great, great thought. Listeners, uh, who, who are who do you want to be as a leader? That's something to think about. Um, yeah, I love it. Um, find find that voice, find that leadership voice, and what do you want it to be? I think that's fantastic. Well, um, so I wanted to give you an opportunity. So how uh, can people find out more about you, uh, this new book, and your company? Why, thank you, John. Uh, www.inthelead.co, inthelead.co. You can um, download a free chapter of the book, the first chapter of the book on uh, my website, inthelead.co. Um, or you can reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you about what's going on with your team. How do you get started on developing some of their skills that they need? You know, if you've got a team of managers, uh, that are leading others. Um, it's a pretty simple process to get them started on some development. So I'd love to talk to those fe- folks um, and enjoy the book. Ah, that's that's fantastic. We're going to put a link in the show notes for that resource. Janet, thank you very much for being on the show and sharing all of this insight. I, I really think this is an important book. Again, the book reminder is uh, The Seven Mistakes New Managers Make. If you've got new managers working for you or if you're a new manager yourself, pick up this book. It's going to help you along the way. I've got a copy of it. It's good. I really, really like it. So Janet, thank you for being on the show and sharing this. Thank you so much, John. Well, thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Till next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In. The Spanish Remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.